You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Michael! Andre, happy Sunday! Oh yeah, happy Sunday. This is our second time recording on a Sunday. And it's it's not about, well, it's about a topic, you know, near and dear to, to, to our hearts. And um, uh, obviously it's, it's going to be about the uh, 2021 vintage in Ontario. Yeah, I'm actually really excited for today. We're going to be joined by uh, two people, one of whom actually responded to our call out to um, uh, to the wineries to join the program. Because um, last week we spoke with Craig McDonald to hear about Harvest, and I'm I'm still just wildly amused at um, and, and you know I think it speaks a lot to Craig's optimism how he tried to put a real positive spin on um, on the 2020 on the dog show Harvest. Yeah, about that. I mean, we eventually broke him down to that. Um, but I'm actually like I'm talking to some some other winemakers. I was speaking to Simone uh, Ardeal at uh, Rockway, a new winemaker there, and uh, she told me that while not a lot of sugar in the fruit, she had some Merlot that came in that she was quite excited about. And I think I, I think I think um, uh, I think Craig said the same thing. Long but now, so, to the so podcast Craig is, how- a, is a large large winery, and yes. it's now time to look at uh, like like zero in on like a little piece of land. You know, he said he had. Uh, the choices of a hundred vineyards or yes. so. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, now it's time to dig in onto one particular vineyard. And today we have, man, I do not want to say this name wrong. So it's Greg. And now, Greg, say your last name. It's Greg Vetch. There we go. Because if you read it in English, it says worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want to be known as the worst one. So if you, thanks for giving me a shot at it. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, so, so, so Greg joins so us. So Greg from... is obviously from Between the Lines, uh, and if you don't know where it is, it's um, it's Between the Lines. Uh, Greg, tell us where your winery is. So we're more or less, I would say, in the heart of Niagara Lake. If you look at the map and you'd put your finger on where Niagara is, you're going to more or less cover our winery with your finger. It's a long Cree growth um, between line five and line six. And, and Andre, I know you've been trying to break in a couple of times, so now I'm going to let you have your question. Well, no, none of my questions are relevant anymore because you stepped all over me. But I mean, that's okay. I, we're, we're here to talk about we're here to talk about Greg and what's happening at the small winery. So, Greg, let's just find out a little bit about the layout of your of your winery. How many acres do you guys farm? So we technically, like from a grape growing perspective, we're fairly large for a small outfit. We've got about 52 acres, right? Um, which is not like not too small for. Uh, for small winery, and we obviously grow a lot of the staples in Niagara with things like Chardonnay on site, Riesling, uh, Pinot Noir, Cap Franc, for example. We do a phenomenal Gewurz. So we don't have great varieties necessarily that are there are too far out there. We do have one that's a little bit of an oddball, which is called uh, Lemberger or Blaufrankisch, and I've noticed more and more wineries experimenting with that one a little bit. But uh, most of the wines... Go ahead. Yeah, and then most uh, most of what we do is more or less uh, we grow our grapes and we sell them all on site. So the stuff is pretty much unavailable in the LCBO, with the uh, exception of one of our um, sparkling wine products, Outset. But other than that, we live in Niagara, grow grapes in Niagara, turn them into wine in Niagara Lake, and then we sell them through the door in Niagara. It's more or less what we're doing. What we're doing. So the the interesting part about uh, about Lemberger or Blaufrankisch, it is a cool climate grape. It's an Austrian uh, grape variety. So you would think that m- more wineries 
would uh, would deal with that grape. Let's start with that specific grape variety. How did it fare in 2021? Well, so I know in the intro for the podcast, you you basically mentioned that uh, Craig uh, for 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 APL is he's got to deal with um, larger scale wine production. So for me, when I look at between the lines and say, the, if you take an example like uh, like Lemberg as a, or Blaufrank as a grape, it actually sort of fits into our philosophy. We do make wine a little bit different than, um, you know, someone that's got to more or less make the same product for the LCBO or has got to make the same product for a large chain or something like this. We, we have a little bit more flexibility. And that's why I like this grape, because this grape technically um, could be turned into sparkling wine. We could turn it into rosé. We can make uh, like a blood noir from it, um, big red wines, light red wines. So that's, for me, the exciting things about grapes. And um, this year, for example, we did manage to eke out still a reserve Lamberger this year. The flavors were there. The sugars weren't quite as high, but um, the flavor, the color... Um, even the structure on the wine um, is, is probably going to gonna, gonna um, work into one of the reserve wines. Although I have to admit, we know what the grapes were like and we know what the fermentation was like. We don't have a chance to see the, like, quite the final product yet. Yeah, it's definitely pretty pretty early to see how the how the wine making how the wine making going to fare. I mean, it's I find it fascinating that you um, so you already know that you've you've got good enough quality fruit to make a, a reserve wine from this year. Well, we are fairly close to where we want to be with our standard. Like the, well, so the, the advantage basically for us as a small outfit is that we've seen this stuff coming a long time ago. Like we, I drive the tractors in our field, so I know where the vines are at. Like when I'm driving through there, I can step off the tractor, I can taste, uh, I can see the vines, I can taste the berries, what they're like. Um, and then together with my brother, Yannick, who is technically the, uh, the winemaker for us here, it's, it's very easy to put our heads together and say, okay, well, like, what can we do to remedy it? Or, or do we have to push harvest back two weeks? Or should we, you know, prepare something else because the grapes are coming in and they might not be in the best shape? Or what can we do? So that's something that um, I think is probably one of our biggest strengths right between the lines. It's just that, that the chance to adjust and that, that flexibility. Right, and that is something that if you have to make it in larger scale, you just you have some flexibility and you have nice technology, but you just don't have everything that uh, that that we can do in that moment. So, was uh, I, I want to go back to the Lemberger for just for a second here because it seems to be something that you guys are hanging your hat on. Um, did it come in at the at the usual time, uh, or did it come in a little bit later? Like, did it? Did it come in before the heavy rains in October, or when does it usually get picked? Let's uh, let's go back right well, back we to the were, original. Yeah, we were we were about I would say we're probably at least ten ten days late. So I think that uh, that dry spell in in August more or less um, stalled us out a little bit. So we were making pretty good progress I think throughout the season, and then it was just too it was just too dry for a very very long time. Um, and then when the uh, when that all that rainfall hit, it really started to mess with um, like a lot of the metrics that we're dealing with. We had very um, skewed pHs. The the acids in the wine were off. Um, like every time we thought we'd gained a couple of bricks and we'd getting close to harvest, we'd get another rain and they'd soak up the water and they'd get uh, diluted again. So we definitely had to hold off on the Lemberger a little bit to uh, to pick that grape, but. Um, 
the beauty about that grave in particular is that it's technically, it, it's a similar looking bunch to say something like Merlot. It's fairly loose and it's sort of, so none of the berries are really like uh, necessarily touching each other or squeezing each other. So even if one of the berries were to say rot, it would just more or less shrivel up, turn into like a husk or a raisin and then um, would be sorted out later on versus the rest of the bunch would still stay uh, intact. So for me, when it comes to this uh, Lemberger grape, I think it does fairly well here. It's just hard to get enough um, mature fields going. Like a lot of people are playing around with it and, and the vines are barely like two, three, five years old. And um, it, it's much harder to find a, find a good site for it and then to work with, uh, I guess, to try and develop that into a style that you can sell to, to Ontario or, or North American customers as well. No. Well, wait, 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 before before I before uh, Andre jumps in here, because I, I just, uh, Andre's getting a little upset with me because I've focused on Lemberger. I want Andre to know this is what I feel like when you get on a Chardonnay rant. Now go, Andre. <laughs> well, I mean, Lemberger is a bit of a, a, a bit of an, an outlier, and I think it, it's fantastic that um, that we have wineries bringing new varieties to the region and, and pushing the envelope. I know when, like... Between the lines for a lot of people is almost synonymous with that particular grape. But I'm really curious because I've just like heard so many people talk about the rest of the vintage in general. Um, I mean, Greg, how many vintages is this, is this for you? Yeah, we made our first 2009. So we opened the winery 2010, starting with the 2009 vintage on the shelf. So this would be 12 years 12. now of winemaking. Now, compared to all the other vintages, how does this year stack up? I mean, it, it, across the board for all fruit. Well, across the board, fall fruits, we, well, to be honest with you, we had from despair to, um, you know, patting on the back and even laughing kind of, um, because we just, we were just able to more or less time it right. I don't know if it's the mix of the grapes that we have, um, but we, we just decided to hold off. Um, we managed our spray program really, really well, and we just were just able to sort of weather that, um, uh, those times, uh, there's things that we couldn't remedy. For example, we had um, soggy soils where we still had to drive in with a harvester, for example. I know that's going to be a problem for um, for the next year or the year after with soil compaction and stuff like this. So I know there's going to be some effects of this harvest that we'll have to deal with over the next two years to try and get those soils back into shape. Um, that's not something that's very, very easily done. But at the same time, if we wouldn't have drove in, we would have missed our window to pick the, the grapes at the right time. Right. So all in all, I think the harvest for us at Between the Lines, we did okay. Um, some varieties better than others. But because we're not an island here, like we have a lot of um, um, friends and, and even relatives, like my brother's father-in-law and stuff like this, that are farmers in this uh, Nagano Lake. And I know from, from, from friends and, and family what they're struggling with, um, with grapes being rejected in the field and... Uh, not just seeing people struggle to get these uh, these grapes in and get it turned into something. I mean, that's the problem is if you've got a more or less like a mandate of what wine you have to make, that's going to be the problem with this vintage because you might not be able to make it fit. Versus for us, we can say, you know what, we can we can we can do something else with this if this doesn't work. For example, our Gewurz this year, um, we decided to take a little bit and turn it into a sparkling wine. So we're going to try and make a sparkling wine out of Gewurz this year, which we've never done before. 
right? And that is just something because we said, okay, you know what? Maybe we can't get the entire field in safely. So we'll just take a little bit of it now, bring it in while we have our chance to do it. And if for some reason the rest of the Gewurz fails and rots and we can't do anything out of it, then that's that's just what we'll have to do. What do you think your best grape was this year? Oddly enough, um, I think our Cab Franc. Really? Yeah. Because I look at the reasoning, the reasoning came in fairly clean and it's fruity and it's fermenting, but it's it had a lot of weight. The um, the Gewurz wasn't quite as, uh, as as aromatic as what we, you know, we have a lot of fans for our product and it's just not as, as, as aromatic. So my brother's going to have to try and figure out if he can tweak stuff in the uh, on the winemaking side. Um, that's why I said we've we just created another product, like sparkling wine as well, to see if we if we can remedy that situation a little bit. The cap front that we had held up really, really well. I know there's a lot of breakdown when botrytis, you know, which will cause like um, color problems and stuff. So I know there's a lot of things, a lot of people are struggling with caps, but for for ours, it held up well. It's still fermenting. Like uh, look, the color is beautiful. The the flavors are. Like uh, like currant and uh, blackberry and stuff like this. So the what we can smell are the fermenting bins, and the um, I think the alcohol should be reasonable. All in all, I think we 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 did okay. All right on. That's I guess that is good news to hear. It's you know it's it's just I think for a lot of people on the, on the crush pad, it, you know, just seeing how hard people have to work this year, it's nice to hear some um, some optimism. Um, have you heard from any? Of oh your- no, there was there was there was pessimism out there. We we like we still actually sell like we we work with a couple other small wineries together as well, and we uh, we sell um, some of our grapes, for example, to them as well. And there's been a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of tough decisions this year, right? From dealing with um, suppliers to you know what something even from the winemaking side, we're we're like dealing with some of the suppliers for the on the winemaking side, and it's hard sometimes to get yeast in on time like that COVID supply chain issue is affecting us for winemaking because it might be hard to get uh, certain products in that you that you'd need to to help with this vintage like like what like which products that uh, would be it could be anything from uh, fermentation tannins for example that would help to stabilize colors for example for, so if you have um, big problems this year with things like uh, um, botrytis for example um, Causing the, the the colors to to brown and stuff like this, you can use um, you could use substitute say oak tannins to help stabilize these colors and just make sure that the wine still turns out in uh, in, in in a nice way. And uh, hmm. oh, go ahead, Michael. No, no, go ahead. I'm just I'm taking it all in, Andre. Um, and when you talked about uh, I guess difficult difficult decisions, uh, like what what sort of difficult decisions are are being made? Well, I think the hardest one is uh, it's weird. Like this, this um, a lot of the yeah, a lot of the decisions often hang on whether you, you, you take the grape or you can find a hope, home for those grapes and what you can do with it. The, the that's that's the hardest one because you know the farmers they start the season and they or the grape growers would start the season and they don't really know what to expect. So they're like eternally optimistic that this will be the best harvest they ever had. Um, and it looked pretty good in the beginning. I know we had a little bit of rain throughout, but compared to last year, which was really dry, that actually helps the, the, the plants. And then um, when you just saw it start to rain and then it just didn't stop, you could see a lot of people's uh, faces turn 
you know, into a grimace almost. So the problem is if, if, if I'm, I'm looking at my grapes and I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I can even make the choice and say, you know what, I spe- uh, like, uh, we grew this field of Riesling the entire season and we have these grapes, like we can still do something with it versus if you have to grow a certain type of grape for a certain type of wine and that wine just won't pull through this year. Well, you have no option but just to take the hit. So you might have spent, I don't know, $20,000, $30,000 growing that, those grapes, and you have to throw it all on the ground. Going back to one of the other things you said, Greg, you said that uh, you, you had to get in there because it was, it was so wet, but you had, to, you had to go pick. And you said that soil compaction is going to affect years to come. For the listeners, why does you know soil be, soil being so compact have anything to do with like next year? Would isn't soil compact to begin with? Well, it's so technically like if you look at say from the, the soil science side of things, you have a lot of um, different strata in your soil. There's there's things that are supposed to be um, living in certain layers, or you you have some oxygen penetration up to certain layers. You need water like drainage and all that stuff. So the biggest problem for us would be that we would cause the soil compaction, say things like bad drainage, uh, the roots would rot. If you have rotten roots, then you, you would be struggling to have the nutrient uptake that you need, which is from like a growing perspective, very important. But for me as a winemaker, from the winemaking side, I also want a lot of the, 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 the mineral uptake and stuff because I need... Uh, you need extract in the wine to create uh, flavors. It's so if, if you just push the vine on top, you just it's almost like cooking without salt, right? You you'd need, uh, you do need the minerals that come out of the soil, and you can only do that with an intact and, and healthy root system. So the problem for us is, uh, is from the farming perspective is that we you, you spend that money uh, trying to grow these grapes, and the only shot that you have is to drive in and and pick them, but at the same time, you know that if you make that decision that you're going to have to deal with uh, with that soil compaction over the next two or three years until you can fix it. And I've seen harvesters being stuck in there, like they drove through the uh, through the field, and um, so you needed two more tractors to pull the harvester out because it sunk like uh, two feet into the uh, into the row. There's a lot of a lot of weird things like that 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 people actually don't really get to see, you know. Especially if you if you're more on the sort of consumer side of things, where you see the finished product and you get to taste all this labor that we put in. Very few people get a chance to see what we're struggling with um, sometimes to make this work. That's why for me, I like the I like the flexibility of grapes like Riesling and um, Lemberger because I can say, you know what, let's just wait, or you know what, let's go early and do this. Let's let's just we need that. We need that flexibility a little bit. Well, Greg, we'd like to thank you for coming on. It's nice to hear that um, you know you're going to make uh, what's the old? Uh, you got lemons, and you're going to make some lemonade, or or at least a sparkling gewurz, uh, so that some new products will be coming out. I'm looking forward to tasting the sparkling gewurz. Um, I mean, gewurz is one of those those grapes that we don't see a lot of in Ontario because I know it's it's tough to keep alive through the winter, but you know it's just. I, I love Ontario Gewurz. Yeah, so, so, so to be honest with you, I don't even know what to expect, really. I just uh, I just asked my brother if he uh, if that would be an option for us, and he said he'd give it a whirl. So we've had uh, we've had a reasonably lucky track record over the uh, over the past couple of years that uh, that a lot of things that we decided to sort of put our minds to worked out. So uh, to be honest, I don't really know quite what to expect of the sparkling Gewurz, but we'll probably have about. 2,000 liters of it, so 
Um, well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it should be kind of kind of a neat thing because you don't see a lot of sparkling converts. So yet another unique product out of uh, out of between the lines. Yeah, well, it might be the one and only ever because of the 2021 vintage. See, so maybe this maybe this vintage wasn't all that bad. Maybe that actually turns out really really great, and we have a new product to make going forward because we uh, because people seem people might like it. I really love that optimism, Greg. Thank you so much for joining us. No, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So last week on the podcast, I we put the call out to someone from a small winery to uh, to join us to follow up on on Craig McDonald to let us know uh, how harvest is going to them, see if things are as doom and gloom are are, are as doom and gloom as some people are saying, as the rumor mill is churning out. And uh, we were joined by or we got a response from a longtime listener to the podcast, uh, and I know he reaches out once in a while, whether we say something good, bad, or sometimes controversial. But we're joined by Jamie Kwai. Wait a second. Hello, is that hello. how you say his last name? Is you got it Kwai? Yeah. All these yeah. times I thought it was we like say, we say like, we say Kwai like bridge on the river, but when we're talking about the winery, we say K Devat. Oh, okay. So well, I that's not confusing at all. Yeah, yeah that's no, a lot no. for confusing everybody, Jamie. Well, we started a winery back when having a French last name uh, gave you a little extra panache. Trust me, and having a French last name doesn't give you more panache. It just m- makes people frustrated when they try to pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. As long as we get the Q winery, we, we're happy. <laughs> oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> uh, so, Jamie, thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's, yeah, nice it to hear, it's nice to hear your voice again. Um, I think you've been on the podcast before. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Cuvée. Back in, I want to say 17, it was Grape King era stuff. Holy wow, smoke, that's, right. that's a long that's time right. ago. That's a long time ago. Um, so now you want to yeah. tell us how your harvest was. Like, I guess what we should ask is, what are you growing up? First of all, where's your winery? Let's give go. that plug in there. And yep, then what yep. are you growing up there? Uh, we are located in the uh, long stretch of, uh, I should probably be the, I'll call it the western, eastern, eastern edge of north shore of lake erie um most of the wineries are concentrated to the west but we're very much in the east uh elgin county is the the home base um we grow about 17 acres of grapes everything from concord and niagara's for fresh grape juice all the way up to um vidal Saval blanc baco noir marichal Foch, and then the more common grapes we have a little bit of Chardonnay, but also some Riesling, Merlot, Cab Franc, and uh, Pinot Gris. All right. And, and with the, yeah. I guess with um, I guess the question is with with your location, what are the like? Are there challenges with growing uh, vinifera out there, or uh, I, I guess like what? How how did you decide what to plant for where you're making wine? Well, our site is. Uh, clay loam, um, but we're on a moraine that has a really good gravel base. I always tell people on tours that, you know, 90% of the gravel pits in Elgin County are located within about four or five kilometers of the ridge that we're on. So even in most years where we have a lot of rain, you get a lot of, uh, you get a lot of quick drainage. Um, so when it comes to actually what you want to plant, um, Lake Erie is a shallow lake, so our springs are a little cooler. Our falls are a little warmer relative to Niagara has been my experience. So late season or long season stuff like Cab Sauve is really kind of unreliable. 
but there again, um, early season stuff doesn't bother us. Spring frost is never an issue on our site because we, we bud about seven to 10 days after Niagara, which seems to get us out of that window. So I don't worry about things like Chardonnay or Baco or Foch because they are early season. Um, but I can't push the late season stuff like, uh, uh, cab stove. It just, it, it's not in the cards. You have cab stove. Um, um, we do buy cab soap from one of our okay. growers, but, um, no, we grip Franck is the latest we go. Okay. Got it. Cause I was like, wow, if you're trying to grow cab soap, good luck. Like you're, you're like the John Mary Nissen of your area. Yeah, that would be, that would be the challenge. The, the problem with Lake Erie is that it does freeze. Um, whereas Lake Ontario almost never freezes. We will get a freeze event every couple of years. Um, and the end result is, uh, you only get maybe 170, 175 days frost-free. And Cab Sauv in Ontario, my opinion, needs closer to 180 to achieve that ripeness. So, no, I'm, I'm not that, I'm not that uh, optimistic. I, okay. I do definitely think, I do definitely think that um, uh, we try to avoid the early, when it comes to what we grow, we avoid the high winter injury stuff. We don't grow any Sauvignon Blanc. We don't grow Gewürztraminer. Our Merlot is as, as wild and crazy as we get when it comes to uh, bitter winter temperatures, and even that requires a little TLC. Now, speaking of uh, of, of pessimism, how has twenty one harvest twenty twenty one harvest been going for you, Jamie? Well, even before even before we got into harvest, um, our big issue was we had a rainy summer. Um, I remember driving down to the peninsula to visit some friends and we would have, like, you'd see brown grass. And I'm thinking, wow, have they not got any rain? Um, we were cutting our grass, like, on, in, the, in the winery twice a week and it never let up. Um, so we had close to, I'd say close to 800 millimeters uh, throughout the year, um, which was very unusual. Uh, I can't recall a year in the last... 10 the years where we've been cutting grass twice a week in august so going into harvest first off it, everything was already wet everything was already saturated what's, what's usual? everything that should have sorry, Jamie, me, sorry? What's, what's what's usual for rainfall so i didn't mean to, to cut you off like mid uh mid mid speech there but like what's usual yeah, yeah. for rain 700 is not unusual 600 okay. 700 millimeters is not unusual for the year um, or in the, probably for the growing season for the year like, for the for the grower, year. like over the year yeah Okay. Um, but, um, no, even, even going into harvest, um, everything was still incredibly vegetative. So like we're seeing, you know, we're seeing clusters start to enter Verizon. We're starting to see color changing in the early season and the softening in the early seasons, you know, mid August. And like, there's still shoot tips that are growing because it just never stopped. And so we were spending more energy, more time hedging, um, more time trimming, just to kind of bring things like just to accelerate things. Um, and I'm kind of glad we did because by the time harvest did roll around, the rain never stopped. So you had, you had rain in August. Like I down here in Niagara, August was, was nice and dry. It was when September came along and, and we saw 50 millimeters that month or some odd, I think 55 millimeters. And then October just came along with over 200 mil. And that was, that was just, that's what kind of decimated and, and made everybody cry. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the tears you saw were not just water running down people's faces from the rain. It was actually tears of, of <laughs> sadness. Nice and poetic, Michael. Well, we were, 
we were seeing washouts like in some of our gravel laneways. We were seeing washouts in August. We had a winemaker's dinner in early August. And I think in that four hour kind of window that we were doing the dinner under our tent, I think we had a quarter inch of rain, you know, like it was, it was not insignificant. And this is in the heat of August as well. Well, I'll say this, Andre, I was in a vineyard here in Niagara, um, in the St. David's area. Um, let me think was, uh, either Thursday or Friday. And, you know, we've, we've been, you know, not hot, but we have had no rain for a week, uh, now in Niagara. And, uh, there are still huge puddles in, in vineyards. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, even in Hamilton here, trying to dig in the backyard to reset a fence post, everything is soaked, like completely soaked through still. Jamie, your turn. uh, (laughs) I was just going to say, I'm my, my outdoor team and I are, are busy putting up the nets now that we've taken in the last of the harvest. And, I think maybe in the last day or so has there been just dry enough that I'm starting to look at timelines for hilling up the vineyards for the winter. Um, and I can't recall any time in the last 10 years where I've kind of questioned, you know, am I going to get stuck uh, if, if I bring a tractor through? But it's only been the last two days, so it's taken six days for us just to get to a point where I don't think I'm going to destroy the soil trying to, uh, trying to get ready for the winter. Uh, it's been absolutely uh, crazy, absolutely so, crazy. So, how many harvests have you gone through up there? I remember when I when I lived in London and I um, and I went to Western. Uh, I visited your winery. This is long before I started writing or anything. Uh, so, you've got a lot of harvests under your belt. Mm-hmm. We, my grandparents bought the farm in '71. We started planting in '72. And first commer- first harvest in general was 75. Oh. So, you know, we're going into, uh, we're going to afford it 46 years, I guess, of growing grapes in one form or another. Um, but we started making commercial wine in 88, got our liquor license in 89, opened our doors in 90. So, you know, this is our 35th or 33rd year uh, commercially making wine. And it's my, I want to say 17th vintage uh, running the cellar at our place. So and, it's been and, a while. And where where does this vintage rank in you know good to bad? Like if you got to your your top vintage being whatever to to number seventeen, is this like number nineteen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely in the bottom quartile. <laughs> you know what? I actually wouldn't put this as the worst vintage I've ever worked. I would still put thirteen as probably the worst. Interesting. Um. Yeah, thirteen was thirteen was all of the rain. At least in in North Shore of Lake Erie, thirteen was all of the rain. Um, but the uh, the pest pressures, the red uh, spotted pest pressure in thirteen was a lot worse um, to navigate. Um, so while we had the excessive rains here, and it meant you couldn't uh, you couldn't um, drive tractors through. At least in thirteen you were getting stuck with a tractor and a, a spray, sprayer. Um, I know that in 13, there were whole vintages. I just, or whole lots. I just left on the vines and just said um, a couple of choice four letter words and just left them because it just was unmanageable. I wouldn't fantastic. say it's the worst ever. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's the worst ever, but it's definitely one of the more challenging. Um, I think the issue this year that really threw me off 
was besides the rain and the, the extra logistics and the extra cleaning that went on, um, it was just the sheer volume. We're used to harvesting 45 to 50 tons of fruit um, between us and some of the growers we work with. And I think if I just saw the GGO numbers this morning, I think it was around 63 tons we processed. So we're up almost 20% by volume um, over where I had anticipated we'd be. So, okay, but, um, but being up, again, up not by the vo- worst. being up by even being up by volume though, what is the what is the quality like? Early season stuff, kind of pre around Thanksgiving, um, no questions. I got full ripeness, got the sugar levels I wanted, got the maturity levels I wanted. Um, things really kind of hit pause around Thanksgiving. So I was seeing Cab Franc start to stall around 20 bricks. Um, and it continued to mature, like the, the flavor development, the tannin structure, the seeds lignified. Um, but I never got a lot higher than 20.5 to 21 bricks in Cab Franc. Merlot stalled out at 21. Again, it hit phenological ripeness, but all the harvest dates were 10 days behind the rolling average. Um, it's good, but there's a lot of it, and there is this natural dilution that's, that seems to coming be coming through the wines. Like I don't know that bleeding the tanks would have made a difference. It's just this: the acids are a little lower, the berries are a little juicier, the sugar levels are a little, a little less than I would have liked. But there's no obvious flaws. Like there's no obvious. I wasn't dealing with a lot of breakdown. I wasn't dealing with a lot of rot. I was just dealing with soggy. <laughs> Soggy fruit. Interesting. I mean, nothing, I think I think nothing's worse yeah. than soggy fruit. Well, I think it's interesting here just listening to a lot of people talk about like that. There's a lot of fruit that is is tasting good, and that you know, even at this point after the rain, there's some stuff that's even looking good. But the common is just that the sugar levels are going to be low. How how does that mm-hmm. impact impact winemaking or impact your winemaking decisions? I look at. I was just tasting our Rieslings um, because our estate Riesling just finished fermentation, I think, uh, uh, Friday. And, you know, add a little preservative, start to settle it out. And I thought I'd give it a taste afterwards. And and I'm getting this sensation that the acid structure is there. It's still very clearly Riesling. But you know that um, you ever get a glass that it was just rinsed with water and you thought you got all the water out of it and then you pour something into it and it just has that feeling of, oh, it's slightly watered down. That's what I'm noticing in the wines. This is this low level and like dulling effect. And so from a winemaking standpoint, I'm just starting to think through, okay, I got to focus on concentrating these. I got to do things to try and drive the aromatics or at the very least preserve the aromatics. But when it comes to, you know, sugar additions, acid adjustments, all that kind of stuff, I tend to be fairly minimal in my adjustments. I don't like making an adjustment more than 5% either way. So if the sugar levels come in a little low, I'm just going to make a wine with a little less, little less alcohol in it. Um, I mean, if the acids are down a little bit, I'm probably going to leave a little less sugar in it to balance it out. Um, I don't like doing major changes. I just find that um, if it's a cosmetic change that you don't notice, that's, one thing, but if it's a wholesale change, the wines just taste out of balance. And um, I know most consumers probably wouldn't pick it up, but I notice, and I, I do make wines for myself first. Well, there we go. 
Do you have anything opt- optimistic to uh, anything optimistic to say about twenty twenty one? It's all speechless moments have, for us. Yeah, yeah. Do I have anything optimistic? There's no obvious, like unlike thirteen. There's nothing that got left on the press pad. There's nothing that went straight from the harvest bins into the manure spreader. Like it really was. Um, it really is an okay vintage. Like it's not going to be spectacular or if it's going to be spectacular, it's going to show itself in six months, a year or two, there were, are going to be some stars in this vintage, but it's not an easy, you have to, it's not an easy vintage. You're going to have to go looking for those real gems in the lot. Cause it's, uh, they're going to be a little harder to find this year. Anything that you can predict as being gems from this year? Cause I know we've heard from, from Craig and a couple of other people that Merlot is looking really good this year, although the same refrain, low in alcohol. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't bleed tanks like red wine, like Bordeaux reds. I don't bleed them in order to make rosé. So I actually have like one of my estate blocks of Cab Franc was used for, um, for the rosé. And it's, I'm excited. I was tasting the juice the other day, um, just as it's starting to wrap up fermentation. And there is some intensity there. There is some freshness, especially coming off of the uh, uh, 2020 vintage, which was just a little too dull as the rosés for my palate. But I'm excited uh, mine, about mine the rosés. Mine too. I thought yeah. they were they were good, but they were just yeah. gone. Sorry, yeah, I just wanted it was to. Too much, yeah, no, no, it was too much of a contrast. Um, we did pick some... We do a Saval Blanc-based uh, brute sparkling. Um, and we've done that for about a better part of a decade right now. And the base wine for that, that came in second week of September, uh, it's tasting really good because it, it missed a lot of those early season rains. So there's a, it's, it's fresh, it's easy drinking. It's where I want it to be. So I'm excited for that to come forward. Um, as for viniferas, I'm pretty excited about the Pinot Gris. Uh, our Pinot Gris came off, I want to say it was around the 15th or 16th of September. It hit 20.5 bricks, give or take. The acids were in line. Um, I'm, it's been settling now for a couple of months, and, and I'm very happy with that, where that is. So um, it's, I think it's going to be an early season white wine vintage or a really late uh, rosés that were uh, not bled vintage for us. Interesting. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the uh, the pessimist um, uh, host here. Let's which hear it. which wine are you probably gonna drop this year and not make in your in your portfolio? Just like this is not gonna go. Sorry, guys. Um. Oh, what wine am I not gonna make this year? Uh. Well, I could have really used some late harvest in my portfolio. Um, we do a wine. Uh, if we don't do a late harvest, like a true late harvest style wine, we'll do a later harvest style wine. We call it the sweet one. Um, and that's incredibly popular with customers. Um, and I really could have used about 150 cases of it this year. And, uh, uh again, a few choice four letter words and <laughs> I just harvested it early to save it. Um, so I, I definitely dropped the late season whites this year and um, I'm going to have to pay for that in with an earful from our amazing customers who will be asking for it because the, uh, the 2020 is going to run out probably by March. Um, I'm not planning on doing any 
over-the-top extended aging red wines. I think most of the Bordeaux reds, even though they're they're tasting good and they're tasting a little, you know, like I said, a little diluted, um, given the, the the climate we had, I don't see doing like a 24-month aging program. There's no grand reserve style wine that's showing itself quite yet, which uh, which is unfortunate, but that's the nature of the growing season, right? And the nature of, of winemaking, right? You've got to make the best Absolutely. wine product that you can that you can make without, you know, giving out, you say, liquid wood or anything crazy like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I learned a long time ago that if you have a couple of, you know, stellar vintages, like I would say 19 and, and 20, obviously, um, to then go into 21 and it's so completely different, the worst thing I could do as a winemaker is try to over extract 21 to try and, and chase 20 or try and chase 19. Best thing you can do is just embrace the fact that it's a light of vintage. This is what the universe gave us and uh, make the best wine for what it is, as opposed to, uh, you know, not every one of your kids goes to med school. You know, if some of them are going to be artists, some of them are going to be writers, some of them are going to be painters and you just accept them for what they are. Hey, the world needs ditch diggers too, right? <laughs> That's exactly it. Oh boy. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for giving us the, the, the time. Jamie Kwai from K Duvain, which is not at all complicated. Nope. That's as long as it's memorable, right? Michael. Andre. I'm not sure we're gonna see any uh reserve wines from twenty twenty one. You never know. I mean, uh, Greg said he's uh he's gonna do some. Okay, okay. Um very interesting series of three interviews that we've uh, just done to talk about the harvest from this year. So I hope everyone listening to this has learned something. And you know, I guess it's the thing too. We're gonna we're going to see which um, we're going to see who can work some magic in the in the cellar with what was given to them this year. What what I think we really learned is stock up on twenty twenty. <laughs> I think we're, everyone was planning on doing that anyways. I mean, but it's still but I mean, insane. And, and, and you know, what I think we're going to learn about twenty twenty one is they're going to be very drink now you know, wines. Like, I mean, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, some of those, you know, classic vintages or wet vintages, or they hold a lot of acidity and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's going to be the case in 2021. I think it's going to be, you know, this is a tasty wine, drink it right now. And I really hope that some of those wineries that are, you know, uh, let's call them the high-priced wineries actually drop their prices in things like 2021 and go, you know what, this is not a $40 bottle of wine anymore. It's uh you know, it is a $20 bottle of wine. We'll take the hit this year and, and, and move Do forward. better next year, hopefully. Yeah. I, I think that's, uh, I, I agree with everything you just said. So on that note, I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. You can follow me on social media at AndreWineReview and uh, Patreon.com slash Two Guys Talking Wine. Anyone who checks that out, we really appreciate you. And uh, if you're you're looking to, um, you know, sponsor the podcast, please uh, please reach out, get in touch. Um, you know, we're looking for, uh, we, we hit a, we hit a good audience. We really hit a good audience, Andre. Yeah. And we're still on a growth trajectory. I think we've almost cracked 30,000 listens for this year. And that puts us, uh, a full month early to, uh, what we did for last year. And we're only in November. All right. I'm Michael Pincus of michaelpincuswinereview.com, uh, social media as the great guy. Also, uh, on some as, as Michael Pincus. Um, Andre, it's great talking to you on a Sunday afternoon. I wish you luck on your fence. Thank you. Uh, but the sun is shining here. I think I'm going to go out for a drink. So I know I usually end with a good night, but I think it's good afternoon. I think you did that last week. 
what drink or at afternoon afternoon anyways i guess we're just trailing off again yeah we're just talking well good morning Andre. thanks for listening please subscribe to two guys talking wine on itunes this episode of two guys talking wine was produced by jim ray and adam duran